0: Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West.
1: Well, uh, break in this year's November,
0: yeah. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that helped shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? You don't. What was that? A monster. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, free-form discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far we're doing fine, hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Welborn the last time we uh, met on Cargo Cult. Hey,
1: well, welcome back to Cargo Cult. Justin Wellborn. Hey, Jimmy Mack. What's up, man? I'm not going to do the long, slow intro into Felix Blackwell. He is uh, still here with us, and it's great to have you still, still around. Thanks for sticking around.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. So, we were talking about the end of Roger Corman's dream. The idea that he would always kind of be able to make these exploitative, quick right, money-making right. grabs. $15 million, $15 million for Wild Angels in 1965-66. Outstanding. I mean, I mean the, the, the cl- that Corman makes and seems to you know
3: really pan out is the fact that he never made a movie that lost money Which isn't necessarily the highest compliment. It just means that you've always made them for less than what, you know, you eventually made. But it it
1: does also mean that Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and Ron Howard and John Milius and on and on and on get their shot at the title. They They had the movie camp. They had the movie camp and that made a big difference. Um, The films that we were going to talk about last time, but Felix's story was just too amazing not to kind of dig into. It's a great story, by the way. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. And guys, if you get a chance, you should head over to felixblackwell.com and see all the wonderful books he's written and all the wonderful stories he is telling felixblackwell.com now let's get back to three movies we'll start with the one that kind of sets the stage you can make an argument that black christmas and you know uh, a couple of other films in the early 70s last house on the left be kind of and and the books of stephen king throughout the 70s really br- it's funny that the catchphrase of halloween john carpenter's 1978 classic is what and i remember what the what the tagline was for halloween 1978 halloween
3: oh i ah oh, it's right on the it top totally of relates
2: trying um, not to reach for my phone here the night he came home Ah, oh, yes.
3: okay 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 the night he which came- i also want to make a point that in the movie michael myers has you know gone away in 1964 and they make it immediate because it's he escapes on october 30th 1978. So it's like, this is happening now. Mm-hmm. This is the idea, sort of like what you were talking about, that it's involving people right then. The movie was from 1978. It's happening this Halloween, and they they released it in October, you know, so mm-hmm. that it would specifically be relevant to the time, you
1: know? There is a great review written by none other than Roger Ebert in 1978 that really kind of set this film into the big motion that it ended up being. It was a late entry into the Chicago Film Festival. I don't have to get into all the details of the production because it has been ably kind of um,
3: oh written about
1: written about and there's a great about there's a great documentary on it a whole <laughs> sure. bunch of great stuff of, about this movie. Suffice it to say that John Carpenter got on a plane to go to London because he was following the John Huston rule of filmmaking, which is start making your next movie before the one you've just finished bombs. Um, and by that <laughs> yeah. you know, Fighting's easier. He gets on a plane and he's headed off to London and he sees the numbers on Friday and Saturday. For Halloween and it's like meh and Yablins, who the producer was the producer had released it in a series of middle American markets Kansas City St. Louis those kind of areas to kind of go to middle America and see how this tale of babysitters on Halloween would play out Carpenter sees the early numbers and goes I better get the next movie kind of going and rolling here <laughs> By the time, and remember, this is before cell phones and email and all this stuff. Carpenter gets off the plane a bona fide hit. And what had happened was, is that Joblin saw the money numbers on Sunday and said, "Wait a minute, they're bigger than Saturday and Friday." And then he saw the numbers on Tuesday, which has always been a big movie-going day. He goes, "The numbers are bigger." What? So they begin this long march in limited release across the country, and they get to Chicago and at the Chicago Film Festival. He convinces Roger Ebert to go see his movie than some of the other big-ticket names. Ebert goes, and he writes a front page, the living section of whatever the newspaper he was working for at the time, runs a big article on this. You should read that review if you ever get a chance. And he talks about the audience when Michael Myers, at the end of the film, Mm-hmm. sits up mm-hmm. and turns his head and looks <laughs> he said the collective gasp in the audience that and we've talked about that right, sound not right. a scream not a yell uh, but the but the uh, uh, <sighs> uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that that yeah. and, and it's funny because if you watch that sequence too we talked about this with carpenters movies we talked about prince of darkness mm-hmm. before the sit-up is clean there's no music she, yeah, comes, well, she comes and out and the that's closet. What makes it scary. Yeah, she is comes that out. to take it away from that amazing score that Carpenters put in there. She sticks him in the face with the um the coat hanger. He collapses to the floor. She staggers out. She drops the knife. What what was she thinking? Mm. She drops <laughs> the, knife, drop the knife, leans on the door sill, and starts to openly weep. No music. Right. Mm. Yeah. And then he just glides up and looks over and the doodum. Yep. Yep. In the heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That that amazing score. This movie,
3: which apparently Carpenter did in like four days. That's what's so crazy about it. And audiences at the time apparently were covering their ears. You know, uh, uh, just totally freaked out by Carpenter's synthesized music you know that has such an impact on i mean they talk about uh movie executives watching it without the score and didn't really feel yeah. that much about the movie he and was attacked all of by sudden. ucla
1: and usc film students really they
3: thought the film was garbage he hadn't put the soundtrack in yet. and and then four days of you know putting <laughs> in your yeah, absolutely. which is still one of the most identifiable halloween five four time and didn't know? he have
2: basically like no musical training
3: his dad apparently was a musician or had taught him how to play the piano and yeah. things like that. But it was, it was total amateur, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, he had a synthesizer at home and, you know, he just, yeah. he didn't have any money. Keeping the budget down. Kind of, I think he, he wanted to swore. get away
2: from the the really orchestral stuff of the 1960s right, 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 know, right. film era um, and stripping everything down. Like you mentioned in the last episode, kind of taking horror out of strange and unusual places and bringing it into the neighborhood and then also stripping down a lot of the um the bells and whistles and he did so in the music too um and i think that i think that th- was it
1: it it was the the exorcist was 1976 no it is um no actually that's omen omen is 76 the exorcist is friedkin had directed i think it's 72 or 73 it's got to be 72 73 is that because right? friedkin does the French Connection, and then he does The Exorcist. Uh, we're looking that up right now. 1973, 73. Bam! Okay. And the point
2: I wanted to make is moot, but I, but yeah, he did go on to inspire a, a simplicity in horror genre or horror film um, soundtracks for years to come. Fascinating. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, and his music with, makes you with, feel
1: like with uh, with Carpenter or The Exorcist. With Carpenter. Yeah, because yeah. The Exorcist is a weird bird too, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Exorcist really limits the music in the same way, and then when it does unleash the music it yeah, unleashes it, it, the it's don, a, don, a
3: tidal wave of
1: and, and the uh, end of music the, of the, of the, yeah, of the yeah, exorcist yeah. by the way is is remember we talked about that 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 bizarre concept we have things are not good but there was honor right listen to the end music of the exorcist there mm-hmm. really is a sense of Things are not good, but there's redemption. I mean, it's a really strange soundtrack. By the way... Um, they at least
3: beat it at the end. They beat you know? it at the
1: end, yeah. It's really kind of a... Until and, Exorcist Part 3. Do you realize, by the way, that you can make a case that Lieutenant Kinnerman in The Exorcist is actually Columbo?
3: He kind of dresses like it. I mean, William Peter
1: Blatty uh, is the creator of both. I mean, if I remember right. correctly, he, he's the creator of Columbo. I just have... And the whole thing about just one more question. You remind me of Sal Minio. I mean, that's... <laughs> I don't know how we got on the Exorcist It's Halloween. It's fantastic, but but the idea of that movie, bringing it home, is the beginning of the sense that nowhere is safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that there's a sense that nowhere is safe? And you know, I got I talked told this to Justin last time when we talked about Alien. I got a chance to see Alien in '79 in the movie theater with a brand new spanking audience. Nice. I can't even imagine what watching this movie in 1978 must have been like. Right, Mm -hmm. with no
3: cultural, you know, baggage coming with it. There are no masks out yet. It's really something, new, which is kind of the point that I was making with, like, it was meant to be immediate. This Halloween, it's... Michael Myers is the here. Ninth, he literally escaped home. yesterday. You know, I mean, it, it's meant to be something that really grabs you right then and and not knowing it. I mean, it's still scary today. I saw it like six years ago in a movie theater, small movie theater oh, yeah. with a packed audience around Halloween. Everybody's having a great time, but yeah. we all knew the movie. You know, you, you've seen it at least several times on VHS or something like that. And um, yeah, man, I also think that uh, to give Roger Corman his his kudos. This is a whole breed of independent filmmakers that come out that make Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the thirteenth, um, you know, Halloween, all of these. They're dealing with what they've got. You know, you're making these movies with your friends, with your colleagues, your This I really mean, is Robert an ally England store. who played Freddie in Nightmare on Elm Street was throwing leaves on the set of Halloween. These people end up just knowing and working with one another and folding in and out and and having made a bunch of independent films that's what you do you call your friends you get the favor you know you you bring people in to go this scene isn't working well maybe i can work this out and
1: and that's how it happens well and the other really kind of great thing too is that and i don't want to criticize anybody nowadays because the obsession with celebrity (laughs) and the me generation and all that kind of nonsense is that these people I, and I, I'm, I'm a big person who actually likes the now more than the then because the idea of walking through train stations and college campuses and basically being inundated with cigarette smoke is not my idea of the good old days. <laughs> but but they're really, if you listen to these people and you listen to Wes Craven and you listen to John Carpenter and even Sean Cunningham, there's a sense of, I just want to finish the freaking movie. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I, don't, I, wanna I don't want to make my movie. Famous. And, and I want to finish my movie. I want to write my book, you know? Even if it when, wasn't
3: their first movie, it was it was close it was they were close. still very young i mean donald pleasance who shows up as dr loomis is the oldest person on that set by and the far, third choice and know? the third sure, choice peter of that cushing role. and christopher lee were asked but there's not enough money to do it and apparently donald pleasance was like my daughter's in a rock and roll band and she says the assault on precinct 13 was cool so I guess I'll do your movie.
1: And, and we, now we're now <laughs> twenty thousand yeah. dollars, which
3: is about a hundred grand now. <laughs> yeah, which is back
1: to Alec Guinness country with George Lucas and Star Wars, you know. I, I don't know, this seems rather silly to me, but I saw American Graffiti and just a charming, lovely movie, and I guess I'll sign up again. And that's just, how it happens. That's how it happens. Right,
2: right,
3: right, But
1: it's it's funny too because you, that's a great point, is the fact that my daughter saw this yes. movie but she saw it in England sure because in the United States Assault on Precinct 13 was a big <laughs> <laughs> mm. but over in England it became this I mean they love all that kind of stuff I too. I like I Americans I with know, shotguns LA gangs <laughs> <laughs> have Hilarious. you seen have you seen Assault on Precinct 13 when I was really little the original yeah. one is so I, there, there are John Carpenter films that need remakes we've discussed some of them and they're John Carpenter films that don't need remakes. And one of them is Assault on Precinct 13, which is essentially just a cowboy movie. And, and by the way, sure. Carpenter really thinks that this movie is a Western, too. Really? He totally thinks Halloween is a Western. He thinks that it basically it's, you know, these are the homesteaders under distress from the outside assaulting force. They call it the okay. shape for
3: a reason. They do call mm-hmm. it the shape for a reason. And that, it's, and, that, that's and it's
1: true. A, and by the way, it is as good of a silent cinema performance as anything other than Chaplin or Keaton. It is up there in the high country. Nick Castle's performance as the shape, because the person whose face we see, that ain't who's performing the role. Right. Um, Nick Castle's performance, I think, is staggeringly great behind a mask. It just, it's, it, it's great and. The fact that there's no there there, the fact that they're able to create a big giant hole in the middle of the movie lets us just use that as a receptacle for every awful thought we've ever had gets <laughs> poured into Michael Myers. And it's just great. The other thing that my other point, I know you guys get stuff to say about this, but my big point about the geography of this movie is pretty remarkable, too. There is a sequence in this film that takes such guts and courage, involves very little music and has the same sort of courage. Remember the scene in The Exorcist 3? With the lady with the shears. Scariest scene in the movie. In the opinion. patience of the, that the, scene. The,
3: how long it takes. A good almost two minutes to get to the actual pop.
1: Go the back and watch the scene where she gets murdered in the car in Halloween. She, We watch her walk through oh, the entire right, 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 right. We watch her walk the entire mm-hmm. house. So We have the sure, geography sure, of sure, the sure. house where, where yeah. Lori will end up. When she yeah. walks the geography of the house, she gets to the car, checks the car door. It's locked. Mm-hmm. We watch her walk all the way back grab the keys do the same three times we do this walk She you know, opens the door without using the key sit down and
0: then it dawns on her oh wait thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of cargo cold like what you heard hear more from jimmy mack and justin wellborn exclusively on the siriusxm app subscribe today at siriusxm.com